And in that series, I wanted to talk about, you know, if you will, the, that, that there is an open door that's set before us. Jesus proclaimed that uh, to John in, in the book of Revelation. The, the uh, book of Revelation, we see the, letter to the letters to the churches that are written. And, and last week, we took a look at Revelation 3 and 7, uh, obviously 3 through uh, eight, I think it was, and then basically this week, I want to focus in on that verse seven and the portion of it where Jesus says this, these things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. That's basically saying Jesus is in control and Jesus uh, is more than capable of ensuring that the will of the Father will come to pass in this earth on behalf of all mankind. I want to bring your attention to that key of David before we get going too much into this, and I want to uh, direct your attention to that, that, that simple phrase that, that he has the key of David. Now we read that, and oftentimes we can read over it, and we're just, oh, he's got the key of David. David was a worshiper. David, he was king of Israel. Uh, what does it exactly mean that he has the key of David? I don't know if you remember, but David, there was a point where he's sitting in his, his uh, wonderful... Uh, would one of you bring a chair up here and just set it back there for me by the cross? Somebody grab a chair and set it up there. David's sitting in his palace, if you will. It's made of cedar. It's, it's been formed into every uh, beautiful uh, thing that could be formed into it. There's, there's things that are fashioned in gold, there are things that are fashioned in bronze and silver, and, and, it, and the timbers are all out of cedar, these large cedar timbers. Have you ever been to a lodge here in Colorado, uh, and you see these big, huge uh, cedar timbers that are in those lodges? Well, what David had was far greater than anything we've seen if you've gone to one of the lodges here in Colorado. David's palace was, was beautiful. And there's a point where David, he's sitting in there in his palace sitting on his throne, if you will. He's got, he's got his, his lion skin and his bear skin. Y'all know what that's about, right? He killed a lion and he killed a bear to protect his father's sheep, right? And those things came far before he killed the giant. But David's sitting in his palace and he's looking out through his palace and here is God's presence dwelling in a tabernacle, dwelling in a tent made of uh, animal skins. God doesn't have a house. David's got a house, and all of a sudden, David gets this motivation in his heart that he wants to honor God by building him a house. It's something he feels led to do, it, that he's going to go and build a house for God. And so what does he do? He goes and searches out the prophet, Nathan, and he says, I want to build a house for God. And Nathan says, do all that's in your heart to do. And then God actually speaks on the matter. And he says, David, you can't build the house. You won't be able to build the house. Your hands have shed blood. You've, you've warred to establish the kingdom. Now, it wasn't because David uh, lacked character. Now, we know that he had his shortcomings. But when you get right down to it, if you study the life of Solomon, who was his son that came after him, that built the tabernacle, Solomon was definitely not a mark of character. He might have been a mark of wisdom, but he was not a mark of character. God declared after da about David that David was a man after God's own heart. He never declared that concerning Solomon. 
Solomon prayed and asked for wisdom and God gave him wisdom. But when you look at it, David himself was not a man that lacked character. He was a man that had moments of shortcomings in his character. And, and as a result of that, he had shed, we know, innocent blood, correct? Because he had uh, Bathsheba's husband killed, isn't that right? But when you get right down to it, there's another reason why David couldn't build the tabernacle. When you look at Jesus, he comes on the scene and he says that when he dies on the cross, that he's going to tear this temple down and raise it back up in three days. Isn't that correct? Three days. King Saul, King David, King Solomon. Three kings. And what you have there that's being manifested is you've got Jesus saying, I have the, the keys of David. And what I open, no man can shut. And what I shut, no man can open. What Jesus is speaking of there is he's speaking of a dimension. Jesus is talking about opening up a dimension for all those that would follow him, that it's no longer going to be these physical things. See, when David gets that in his heart, that I'm going to build you a house, God, God actually comes to David and says this to him. He says, you know, David, you want to build me a house, but I never asked for it. I didn't ask you to build me a house, but I will build a house for you, and the Messiah will come from your line. And when Jesus comes on the scene here in Revelation, and he's talking to John, and he's saying, I have the keys of David, and what I open, no man can shut, and what I shut, no man can open. We're not going to make things happen through the physical. We might be able to accomplish certain things in the physical realm, but there are things that are eternal, and they can only be accomplished in the spiritual realm. Can somebody say amen? And so we have to see that when Jesus is saying this, that he has the, the key of David, that he's opening something up. He says he opens up a door for us that no one can shut. Last week I talked about that, that he opens that door, and when he opens that door for us, if you will, it is by the will of God. And I spoke about three things, the moral will of God, the sovereign will of God, and the specific will of God. The moral will of God being according to his word, that his word is, it, it, he sent it out to the earth, and it will not return to him void. It will accomplish exactly what he sent it out into the earth to accomplish. His sovereign will, what God is at work. See, in David's generation, God was at work doing something. In our generation, God is at work doing something. He's actually doing the same basic thing that he was doing when he was walking here with his disciples, and that is he's seeking and saving that which is lost. What he's doing, he's going to find every person. His goal is that none should perish and all come to everlasting life. And he is here seeking and saving lost people and drawing them into the family of God and then doing what revealing the specific will for their lives as they pursue him they find an open door in him that no one can shut and if you understand that by salvation you become a manifestation of Christ's work in mankind you're a door that no one can shut come on now that was good you're a door that no one can shut. If you keep yourself set before the Lord, drawing upon uh, his character, drawing upon his nature, drawing upon who he is into your life through that fellowship, through that interaction of his word, through the interaction of the Holy Spirit and by prayer, that what happens is God begins to pour himself in you. And you're crucified with Christ, nevertheless you live, yet it's not you, but it's Christ living in you. And if Christ is living in you, uh, he doesn't want to just hang out there. He wants to get out there. He wants to get in you to get out of you. Come on now. 
And so uh, we see in Revelation 3.20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now here's Jesus on one hand saying, look, I opened a door that no man can shut. Now what he's saying is, is I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And if anyone will open up their door, if you'll open up the door and let me come in, I will sup. I will, I will dine with you. We will have fellowship together. There will be a closeness of relationship. And last week I, I referred to what I was going to talk about this week. And that there's a close fellowship that takes place to where we actually commune with God. We dine with him. What are we feeding upon? We're feeding upon the word of God. See, we're feeding upon Jesus. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, if you're new and you don't know anything about Christianity right now, you're freaking out. As you're thinking, did this guy just say, I've got to eat flesh and drink blood? Because I'm not a cannibal and I'm also not a vampire. See, some of the things we talk about where Christianity is concerned can freak people out. It's not physical it's spiritual. It's the key of David. What he's opening up is a third dimension, a spiritual realm that we can begin to dine. When he ministers to the woman at the well and he's, he's speaking to her and the disciples come back and they say to her or say to him, you know, eat, master, eat. He says, I have food that you know nothing of and that is to do the will of my father. Can you see that? God, there is a moral will. Jesus came. He is the word and the word manifested. And therefore, there is the moral will of God manifested through the son and the sovereign will of God at work through the son to this woman at the well. And the disciples come back. And what's he do? He says, look, I'm here for a season and it's for something specific. And I'm eating the bread of heaven. This is food you know nothing about. But you will know about it. Because the Holy Spirit is going to come, see, and he's going to guide us into all truth. So uh, under that, that aspect of Jesus knocking at that door, uh, him opening a door. And here's, here's, I wanted that chair up there for another reason. See, David had his spot. David, if you will, had a throne that he sat on physically. He had a place. He had a place. And in that place, he thought upon the things for Israel. He thought upon the things for other people around them and, and ruling the kingdom because what, what, what was he doing? He was ruling the kingdom that there would be blessing and there would be righteousness and there would be honor in the kingdom. And he's also thinking about God. As a matter of fact, you read through the Psalms, you'll find many places where David just can't wait to race to that tabernacle that's made of animal skins. See, he can see in, in what we know is the glory of God set down on, on the Ark of the Covenant. We know it was a blue flame. And because of that, that veil, the way it was, it was kind of like the way it was, it was just skins. They flickered in the wind. And at the same time, it let out just a little bit of God's glory. You could see it. David could see that, that glow coming from the other side of that. He starts looking around at everything he has physically and starts thinking, God needs something better than I do physically. You know, all too often we get focused on our outward man. We start looking at ourselves and thinking God needs something better. When all God wants to do is inhabit the praises of his people. All God wants to do is inhabit you. And he's okay that, that it's 
it's flesh. It's, he's okay in a sense of our skin, if you will. He's okay that it's not perfect. Because he is. And when he starts trying to see in his weakness, we are made. Come on, saints, you can say it better than that. His, in our weakness, he is made. He's made strong. People see all of a sudden a hope that's in us. And it's like, but, but you have loss and you have your own troubles and trials. And yet you still honor God and yet you still have hope. What is that? That's just a little bit of that blue flicker. It's just a little bit of God's glory getting out of you and people observe it. And you're like, I kind of like to have that kind of hope in the midst of troubles. God wasn't, see, and as a matter of fact, he says this. He says, in the latter days, I'll raise up the tabernacle of David. Even though Solomon built that temple, Jesus said, you tear it down in three days and I'll raise it back up. What he was saying is he's going to raise back up that, that tabernacle of flesh that God's going to come and he's going to inhabit the praises of his people. He's going to dwell in his people and let that glory flicker out of who we are. Even though it may seem weak, he's strongest in our weakness. David sits in his chair. This is why I say to you, the importance of having, you know, if you will, have a chair. Have that spot where you get alone with God, where you're inviting him into your life. I keep sitting there because I want you to have that image of that place. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Say never. Be thankful in all circumstances. In some circumstances. In all circumstances, be thankful. Now, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving next week, correct? It's a great time to bring that point to bear, is that, you know what? This is a time that we reflect on Thanksgiving, and you know what? God's saying, look, it's not just a holiday, it's a lifestyle. Say that with me. It's a lifestyle. We need to live that way. And it says this, it says, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will. There's his will again, for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Once again, we see the manifestation of that moral will, the sovereign will, and the specific will of God at work within that passage alone. Prayer should be our first response. There in your notes, prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. Prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. Prayer opens the door from our side. Jesus is standing there and he's knocking. And it takes us to open the door from our side. He's already set an open door for us concerning himself. Nothing is, it, 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 all the promises of God are yes and amen. Not one of them have a no to you. They're all yes and amen. It's an open door. The question is, does Jesus have an open door to you like he has set an open door for you? Now I say that we need to give him that open door. He's knocking at it, we got to open it. To enjoy all that Jesus offers through the open door he set before us, we've got to open a door. And so that takes building a lifestyle of prayer. A lifestyle of prayer. John 15, 4 through 5 says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do some things. Y'all with me this morning? Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
It's like, yeah, but I do stuff every day and I don't necessarily talk to Jesus. Yeah, but will it last? Will it make it into eternity? See, on the day of judgment, we'll all have this. Our works will be tried by fire. And some of them will be burned up and consumed and others will be, right, for lasting forevermore. He, he refers to it this way. There's works of wood, hay, and stubble and there's works of sardis, jasper. These are stones, precious stones, silver and gold. That our works are weighed in the balance of the scale of the judgment of God. And some will remain and some will be burnt up. It will be. Our works will be tried by fire. The greatest hope of the works that we do in this life, remaining for all eternity, is to be aligned with God's will. And the way to do that is to build a lifestyle of prayer. So three things that we need to do to establish that lifestyle of prayer. First, we have to have the priority of prayer. We have to have the priority of prayer. Daniel 6.10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows, opened to, where the windows were open toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Three times a day. Where did he go? Come on, guys, help me out. You got it. Look, I'll preach to you better if you preach back at me just a little. All right. Where did he go? He went upstairs, right? And he went to a window that faced Jerusalem, right? And here's the deal. What did he do? His priority, his priority meant that there was a time that he went to his place. I've talked to you about, let me come over here so everybody's there. His priority meant that he had a time set aside that he went to spend with God. And when he spent that time with God consistently, what happened is it developed a discipline in his life that caused him to recognize this, that without God, there's no hope. If I don't open my door to him, then I won't experience all that he's opened a door for me. I'll never experience everything that God has. Jerusalem will not experience what God has. The people of God will not experience what God has unless I open the door for him to come through and to change me. He is, and he's promised, and he will do, but it takes me opening up my side of it to say, God, here I am. Do what you will in my life. Amen? So he had that time. The priority of prayer meant that there was a time set aside for it. If you don't schedule it, it's not a priority. Come on now. <laughs> if you don't schedule it, it's not a priority. When you schedule something, it's a priority. The second thing that we need to do is that we need to have a place of prayer. A place of prayer. Mark 1.35, verily, uh, excuse me, verily, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Listen to this. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in the secret, in secret will reward you openly. He will reward you openly. That's Matthew 6, 6. I don't think that's in your notes. It hit me this morning and I, had to, and I didn't want to mess Mike up. But I think that's a very key scripture for us. That, that when you go to that secret place, what is it? Is it, I have a chair at home in a corner that I go and sit in. But is that my secret place? No, I just have a spot that I can go 
I have a time that I go there, and I actually do it like Jesus did, very early in the morning, while it's still dark, is the best time. Why? Because the dogs aren't barking, they're not trying to get me to let them out. You know, the kids aren't running, everybody's not running around to get their day going. It's, it's me alone in quiet time in that place so that I can go into the secret place. I can go, God, here I am. I've come to meet with you. Here's what I want to tell you about that, making that place. See, I want God to go with me wherever I go. Whatever place I go to, I want God to be there. Come on, can you say amen? So I want him to go with me about my day wherever I'm at. But that's a very different thing from having that place. This is what's cool about being consistent with it. You got a meeting place, and you go and you meet him there every day. You go and you meet with God. Why? Because when I walk into my room, when I walk into my room, here's what's interesting. I wake up. Do you think God knows when I wake up in the morning? It might be 4 o'clock. It might be 5 o'clock. Sometimes it's 3 o'clock. Doesn't matter when that is. I promise you, when you wake up and it's your time to go and spend that, that, that time in your secret place, you're not dealing with an issue of like, hey, God, would you wake up? I want to meet with you. Y'all, come on now. Yeah? It's like, would you just wake up? But don't you feel that way sometimes? Like, I'm here, but where's he at? Hmm? I want to tell you that's a relational thing. You can't just call on him when you're in trouble. You can't just call him like, hey, God, you know, the, the, the slot machine of God. Let me just put a coin in and, you know, let me give you a little bit of time and then you've got to give this back to me. God's looking for relationship. He's seeking the true worshipers who will worship him in truth and in spirit. And when you make that place, because here's what happens for me when I go to my place. It's not the physical place necessarily. It's the priority of it. And it's the fact that I've set that time aside and that I'm going to meet with him. Now the place brings on distinction. Do you know that, that literally in the presence of God, that, that Paul the Apostle would lay his hands on material, on a piece of cloth, and they would take it and they would lay it on somebody's body that was sick and they would get healed because the anointing was in that material? There was an impartation into that material? That that becomes the nature of it that that place becomes your spot. And when I go and I walk in my room, the moment I walk in my room, when I sit down, this is what's cool about it and what I love about it. It's not the chair. It's what the chair symbolizes. It's what that spot symbolizes is this is where I meet with God. And I walk into my room and I sit down and I feel the presence of God come over me as I begin to read the scriptures and I begin to talk to him. Now, Angie, would you validate that when you walk in my room and sit in that chair? It's like there is a, there's something about that spot. Would you agree? I've had that spot in every home I've ever lived in, every place I've ever been, as I've always made a meeting place for me and God. Now, I, fortunately, um, you know, your kids grow up, they move out, you kind of start taking over rooms for other things, because I had a chair in the front room. Well, that's moved now to the, this, this little office space that I have now, and it's in that corner, and, and uh, I meet there with God. I want to encourage you to do that. Establish a place that you can go to. Because here's what happens when you go to that secret place. It, that's not the secret place. Everybody knows it's there, and, and I'm okay with people knowing that. You, you're not, you don't necessarily understand between me and God how that secret place, when I turn into my secret place, my heart, when I turn in and I begin to call upon the Lord and I begin to pray. And when that 
is established for you, what happens is, is God will meet you there. Even when I'm not there, I can be off traveling and go and sit in some other chair and I turn into that secret place. And God's there. Amen. Write this down. Prayer in, the sec- prayer in secret is followed by the secret work of God in my heart. Prayer in secret is followed by the secret work of God in my heart. It only becomes clear when I see the reward of that prayer in the open. See, when I'm praying that prayer in the secret place, I might know he's there with me, but it's like, did God hear me? Yeah, I know he hears me. But when that, when that moment comes and God manifests an answer to that prayer in open, you know, as well as I do at that moment, you're going, oh, wow, he heard me. I mean, I know you hear me, but do you hear me? When it comes, the answer comes, where I'm going, okay, yeah, he heard me. Amen? Did you get, anybody need me to say that again? Raise your hand if you need that again. I want you to have that. Okay. Prayer in the secret, and prayer in secret is followed by the secret work of God in my heart. It only becomes clear when I see the reward of that prayer in the open. That's his part. My part is to go and pray to God in secret. His part is to reward me in the open. Amen? So, number three, we need to have, have a plan of prayer. We need to have a clear plan of prayer. We can't just go, hey, I'm going to go and have that time with God and a place that I meet with God, but I really don't know what I'm going to pray. I don't know how to pray. Here's how it goes. Luke 11, 1 through 2. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. So watch. Uh, prayer is the key. Write this down. Prayer is the key that opens doors. So Jesus now goes into this mode and begins to teach them how to pray, and he's given the key that's going to open doors. Luke 11, 1. Again, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Okay, Jesus goes into instructing them. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So, prayer is the key that opens the door. And here's some of the doors that Jesus, when he told him how to pray, here's some of the doors that open. So here we go. First, prayer opens the door of relationship. Prayer opens the door of relationship. We need to connect with God relationally. Our Father in heaven is a relational connection. It's not a stagnant uh, Um, mechanical approach it is a relational meaningful approach to God recognizing that he desires relationship as we desire relationship with him Romans 8 15 says you have not received the spirit that makes you fearless or excuse me fearful slaves instead you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children now we call him Abba father which means daddy that when I go to that spot and I sit down it's the same as my kids would run up, Daddy, 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 and they want my time. When I go sit in that spot, I'm saying, Daddy, I'm here. I want to be with you. I want to be like you. You know, uh, anybody ever have your kids like just underfoot when they were growing up? 
and, and you step on them. <laughs> you ever do that? You ever have them want to be so like you that they would do stuff just like you? When they're little, right? They get older and all of a sudden they want to go do their own thing, you know, and, and parents have lost their mind. They're just really not that smart, right? They figured it all out. And then by the time they're 25, it's like, wow, well, yeah, they were really, really smart, right? They start getting it. But I can remember distinctly when, where it comes to the girls. Danielle, I, I, we were in Arizona. I was stationed at Fort Huachuca, Arizona. And I will never forget the time where it's like, where's Danielle at? Where's Danielle? We're trying to find Danielle. Uh, Danielle, and, and we hear this noise in the kitchen. So we go to the kitchen, and we can't find, and she's not in there. But you know she's in there because you can hear noise. And you open the cabinet door, and there she is with the pots and pans, and she looks up out, smiling. You know, I guess she had went in, and she's going to get some pots and pans and come out and cook like mommy, if you will. But uh, she got in there, and it kind of looked pretty cool in there, and so, you know, she shut the door behind her. I don't know. But all I know is I remember this, is the distinction of we had, she had all these toys, and yet what she wanted to play with is she wanted to play with all the stuff that mom, quote-unquote, is playing with, right? Now, those ladies in the room are like, yeah, I'm not playing with those things. And as a matter of fact, <laughs> Frangie is like, that was not playtime for me. <laughs> but in Danielle's perception, mama did it, I want to do it. When we read God's word and we get that time with him and we start seeing what he does, let me just distinguish that for you. Jesus said, I only see what I see the Father doing. I only do what I see the Father doing. What I'm going to do is what I see the Father doing. And the only way to see what the Father is doing is to get that kind of time to where you're with him and you see what he's doing. You see his sovereign will in the earth as you spend time in his moral will and he will unveil his specific will for your life and you'll begin to emulate him and he'll work and reward you for what you're doing in that secret place in the open. Amen. The second door, the door of worship. Prayer opens the door of worship. This is where we glorify his name. Hallowed be your name. Proverbs 18.10 from the Message Bible says this, God's name is a place of protection. The righteous can run there and be safe. You know, God, when he looks at you, as you worship him and you hold him high, I, I love sharing it this way. Is this, I've shared this about my big brother. When someone would give me a problem in school, and they're wanting to kick my booty, you know. They're like, I'm going to kick your... And then my brother is behind me. I don't know he's behind me. He's like... And they're like, we're cool, man. We're cool. And they walk off. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Turn around and like, hey, Brent, how you doing? He's like, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. What, what was that about? He goes, I go, oh, not, man, it's cool now. You know, he goes, okay. Later on, he would tell me, like, you know, I was standing behind you. And I'm like, and off they go. It's that way with God. See, when you, when you honor him for, look, how big he is. Really, what's worship all about? God, you are great. And you're greatly to be praised. You know, he sits in the heavens. He's in that place above. We're in the place beneath. And when we bring ourselves under the shadow of the Almighty, guess what? We're protected. And he wants to protect us. He wants that place in our life. He wants to be given that honor. And it's only in that place of honor that he can work on our behalf. Do you understand that? Even when he's working for us, what is he doing? We're out here, he's trying to draw us in that place under his protection, under his care. And we can't experience the benefit of it unless we're willing, say willing, 
See, we subject our will to his will, and as we do, what happens is, is all that is his becomes ours. That open door is experienced because in worship, it's one of the greatest ways that we open the door. When he's standing there knocking, we open the door to him when we worship him. Proverbs 18.10, God's name is a place of protection. The righteous can run there and be safe. I, I would like to emphasize that you circle that, underline it, you know, check mark it, whatever. And this week, really work at, and when I say work at it, I just pray. God, give me a revelation of that. Let me understand what it is to run to you and allow you to protect me in every area of my life. Number three, the third door that prayer opens, the door of purpose. Pray his agenda first. Write that down. Pray his agenda first. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in trying to take care of ourselves that all it takes is us to align ourselves properly to his will and lift him high and honor him first. And we'll happen to seek him and seek his righteousness in our life. And then things start to line up for us. I kind of call it God's shuffling of the deck. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when life turns into, you know, uh, a dealing of deuce, 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 unless they're wild, they're not good. Right? <laughs> you know, three, 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 you know, four, four. It's like, can I get a face card here somewhere, God, you know? We start going, man, how does this work? Well, I believe that, that somehow in that, the grace of God sees our life. And you know that tribulation works patience. God's not coming to get us out of every trouble that we have. He's coming to get us through the troubles that we face in this life. And through that, what happens is we develop faith and we develop patience in the midst of those trials of this life. It becomes a refining fire for us to look to our God for help. And he comes, you know, to us, to our aid. So uh, Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Let that be the prayer that you pray to open that door of God's purpose in your life. Um, number four, the door that is open through prayer is the door of provision. The door of provision. Depend on him for everything. It's like, well, I don't need God for everything. I don't care. Depend on God for everything in your life. Even if you can do it of your own will, your own ability, Still look to God and give him honor. Just like Damon was sharing in the offering. It's kind of like, it's his fries. One day you've given a life for, an account for your whole life. It's because it's his fries. And it's important for you to give him honor for that and recognize him as being the one who provides for you. Give us this day our daily bread. Psalms 121, 1 through 2. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth, who made heaven and earth. The fifth door that's opened by prayer, the door of freedom, the door of freedom. Get your heart right with God and people. Get your heart right with God and people. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That when we're in that place of seeking the freedom of God, if you will, I believe this is a place that, that we can experience, you know, the, the, best, the best in relationship with God. When we come to that place of understanding that it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And that we need to feel the freedom of God and sense the freedom of God in our lives. Even when we're facing difficult things, that we can turn to him in the midst of this prayer and say, God, I know I may fall short, but you know what? I hand this to you. Will you help me to be able to show that to others? Because I'm telling you right now, there's no greater bondage, I believe, that people face than the things that they've been through with others. There's no greater guilt that hangs on to you when you know you've done wrong by somebody else and you don't go make that right. We can turn to God and we say, God, forgive me. And guess what he does? Somebody? He forgives us. He forgives us. But we need to confess those things to others so that we can be healed. See, the Bible says that we confess our sins to God that we may be forgiven. We confess our sins one to another that we may be healed. See, when there's an element of working that out in relationships, what happens is, is, is there's a healing that takes place in our person, who we are. And we, we learn how to interact with other people. You know, the ups and downs of that, the ebbs and flows of relationship. And when we go to God with that, trust me, God wants you to go to others and make that right as well. And this prayer, Jesus is teaching them, look, you go to God, get forgiveness, but you also need to extend that to other people in your life. Amen. And then we go to the, uh, the sixth door, and that is the door of deliverance. The door of deliverance. Engage in spiritual warfare. It says this, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Ephesians 6.12 says, for our struggle is not against uh, flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. We need to recognize that there is a, 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 a spiritual realm, if you will, part of that third dimension. When we get into a place of prayer like that, that we are, we are doing spiritual warfare. And oftentimes, really, we're doing spiritual warfare for our own deliverance. It's kind of like the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. The devil can't make you do anything. You realize that? Anybody ever say that? Anybody ever use that card? Well, man, the devil, man, he was all over me and made me do that. No, he didn't. You let him do that. If you're in Christ, he has no power over you. Jesus laid him to an open shame. When, when the devil hung him on the cross and laid Jesus to an open shame, the reality is, is it was the reverse that was taking place. You know, okay, I'll get him on that cross and crucify him, and I've done it. Jesus is being crucified, and the realization sets in. On the third day when Jesus resurrected from the dead, the devil's like, uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh, I think this was the other way around. And the Bible says, had he known what he was doing, he would never have crucified our Lord. He never would have crucified our Lord and Savior had he known what he was doing. And we need to recognize that Jesus has given us. When he's given us, when he says, I've set before you an open door, he's setting before you an open door to be free. That that deliverance comes through his work. And that where the devil may come and pick at you, guess what you're able to do? You're able to declare the work that Jesus has done for you. And when you do, that is the power in your life to overcome anything that you might be tempted of. That's what it's praying right there. You know, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What's going on there? He's setting before you an open door that you can confront that temptation and not give way to the evil one. Amen? And then the seventh door, the door of victory. Express faith in God's ability. 
door of victory. Express faith in God's ability. God is more than able to do on your behalf where you have faith in Him, God is more than able to work on your behalf to bring victory in your life. It says this, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Look, whatever God does in your life, make sure you give Him glory for it. Don't take His glory for, oh yeah, I was able to do this. No, make sure you're giving God honor for doing that in your life. Make sure you're recognizing that it's, that it's Him that's at work in your life to have victory. And Jeremiah 32 and 17 says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for God. Say that with me. Nothing is too hard for God. And when you see him that way, when you're in those moments and you begin to acknowledge him and express faith in his ability to work in your life, that's when you start to see the results of that work. Amen. You know, uh, it's, it's interesting. Um, how many of you, anybody from Missouri? No? Good, we can talk about Missourians then. <laughs> anybody know what that state is called? It's a show me state. And I think all, all too often we as Christians can be the show me kind of people. God, you show me and I'll believe. God's like, that's not the way that one works. You believe and I'll show you. We got to flip that. You got to say, God, I believe. That's what the... The, the father of the son, the, epile, the, the father who had a son who was an epileptic. He, he's going to the disciples and he says, you know, your disciples have prayed and, and they can't, you know, they can't cast the demon out of him. And Jesus says, bring the boy to me. He brings the boy to him. And Jesus says, do you believe? He goes, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. You know, I believe enough to be here. I believe enough to ask. But where I lack the faith for this to manifest, help me in that state of unbelief. I'm coming to you, Jesus, because I know your word declares it. I'm coming to you because I've heard it. I've heard a testimony from others who've experienced it. But Lord, I need, to help. I need you to help me in that place where, where I don't have enough faith for it to manifest. And guess what I know about Jesus? <laughs> According to that story, Jesus will help us in our state of unbelief. He will increase our faith in that moment. Revelations 5.13, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And listen to this as I close. Luke 18.1 says, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. And you can go back and you can read that, that story. I'm not going to do that today. But I want you to understand the purpose for telling that story to his disciples was that they would always pray and never give up. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had moments in my life where I've been praying and I don't see something happen and I just kind of like throw my hands up in the air. Like, God, I just, you know, I don't know what to do. Yes, I do. Jesus said, always pray and never give up. And I don't know if you've ever done that where you're just like, I don't know what to do. The word instructs us. See, for us to be able to open those doors of God's blessing through our prayer is to recognize that those doors hinge on his open door before us. He set that open door according to his will. And if that's the case, according to his moral will, sovereign will, then the specific will of God comes 
because I always pray and I never give up. It's not the result that motivates me to pray. It's the lack of it. Hmm? it it's not, I got the result, so oh, let me pray. It's, God, I need you to work in my life. There's nothing like need to motivate somebody to pray, right? You know that people that wouldn't even profess Jesus Christ as their Savior, when a family member comes into a, a state of, of uh, a medical illness, all of a sudden, you know, it's like, you know, please pray for my brother, or please pray for my husband, or please pray for this person or that person. I watch it on Facebook. I can watch people who, who will post like the, the most just lifestyle. You're going, wow, that, you know, next day it's like, please pray. It's like, wow, man, whoa, you know, you do have a faith. They've got, they've got something there. And there's nothing like need that causes us to go to our knees. But I say, when we go to our knees or go to our place and we pray before there's even a need, then we're seeking first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. And we don't have to worry about the rest because he'll add it to us. He'll take care of us. There's a confidence that grows in us when we have relationship with our God. That a situation arises like, God, I know you're going to take care of that. I just want to focus on who you are. God, I know you'll take care of that. I just want to focus on our time together. God, I'll know, I know you'll, you'll look to that need, Father. I, I just want to make sure that I'm honoring and glorifying your name and not that situation. Can you all say amen to that? Amen. So, uh, in a nutshell, don't give up. Is it up there already? Yes, it is. <laughs> don't give up. I had that. It was actually in an animation. We couldn't transfer it, and it was going to drop in there one, one letter at a time. It would have been cool. Don't give up. Open a door. Say that with me. Don't give up open a door. Say it again. Don't give up. Open a door. Let your prayer life increase. And I promise you, God will begin to show you open doors. Amen? Amen. Stand your feet with me if you would. Today, what I want to ask us to do, and I thought about this, you know, the altar is a, is a wonderful place to come and to to place our needs out there for prayer. But I find that sometimes folks, it's like, ah, I don't want to go down there. I could try and coerce you and get you down here, but we're going to do it this way. We're going to get you all to the altar today. You ready? Like some of your face is like, what? You know, here's how we're going to get you to the altar today. Anybody know what the altar of God is? Where it is? This is a physical altar. Jesus said, in a sense, he'll tear this down and he'll raise up the tabernacle of David. Say, I am the tabernacle of David. So what I want you to do, you got needs in your life, I know it, we all do. I want you to circle up with three or four people right around you, and I want you to pray for each other. To express, you know, here's a need in my life, and, and just the person to your right. This person pray for that person, that person prays for that person, it makes its round. But we don't leave here today without exercising exactly what I've been sharing today, is that we open a door. We open the door to him to work in our lives. And he says that we need one another. That's why he established a body. We all have gifts differing, but we need each other and we need to be praying for each other. So I wanted to just establish that for this morning that we'd pray for the people right around us. And so if you'll do that, just find a few people right around you there. Share just, it doesn't have to be complicated. Here's my need. And then, let, and then pray for each other. 
those of you who have finished, if you'd stretch your hands up, I'm just going to pray over Laurel. She, she didn't get the blessing we all got, so Father, I thank you for Laurel and God, just uh, her dedication to you and Lord, to lead us all into worship and God, the disciplines that she has to follow you. And God, it is a uh, huge responsibility that she carries as a young woman to lead this congregation and this team, Lord God, into your throne room. Because it's in your throne room that our lives are transformed. In your presence, God, that's where we're transformed. So God, I'm asking for that extra measure of anointing on our life. An increase, God, of anointing. But Lord, all that you've called her to do for us as a body of believers, for our community as a whole, that the one thing we do every week when we come here, we get to encounter you because of the worship, Lord God, that we give you. And that, Father, the responsibility she carries to lead us there. Lord, we bless her in that as a whole. In Jesus' name, amen. You're welcome.